I scream, you scream, we all scream for quality science fiction and fantasy content. For an extra scoop of sword and lasery goodness, go to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. Dennis Taylor is several authors and musicians, but Dennis E. Taylor is a retired computer programmer, snowboarder, mountain biker, runner, and the author of The Bobaverse, the next novel in the Bobaverse series, Heaven's River, scheduled for September 24th, 2020. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. By the way, it turns out turns out there is another Dennis E. Taylor who's oh, also man. an author. <laughs> yeah, he's dead, but uh, well, you yeah. outlasted him. Good job. I outlasted him. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many bad follow up questions to that that I'm not going to ask because it will just go no place good. Um, but let's uh, let's let's kick off with some questions. Uh, so we understand that Heaven's River is is uh, going to follow the the lost Bob known as Bender, one of our favorite Bobs. Is that correct? And what else can you tell us about the book so far? Well, the um, the book is mostly about uh, the search for Bender. Um, primarily by Bob one. Uh, and the first half of the book is, is almost exclusively concerned with, with just trying to figure out where he got to. Uh, so most of the book, of course, the book jumps around just like all of the Bob reverse books do, but most of it is in Bob one's point of view. Got it. You know, this is, it's funny because my, this is one of the only science fiction or fantasy books that was actually recommended to me by my husband, who is not a sci-fi fantasy reader. And so when he found out you were coming on the show, he was very, very excited, but he was like, but I don't understand. He, he wrapped up the book so well. well. What else is there to talk about? Have you been getting that question a lot? Oh, I've been mostly what I've been getting is uh, questions about how many books there are going to be in the mm. series. And I don't have an answer to that because it's a very open ended series. The number of Bobs keeps increasing with every book. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the, the, the opportunities for hijinks increase geometrically. I love that by a factor of, of N Bob. Or yeah, I was going to yeah. say, at some point, are you going to have to invent a Bob to help <laughs> write the books for you? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, or or I could frame Jack. Um, <laughs> some people have suggested that, too. <laughs> well, uh, I, b- before we get to some of the questions submitted by the audience, uh, I, I think one that I know a lot of people would like to to understand is, is what brought you back it, it, as Veronica said, it did feel like, uh, the three were, were nicely wrapped up. Uh, is it just that you, you happened to be inspired or, or did you always plan to go back? I've always planned to go back. There was never any intention to end the series at three. Mm. The original trilogy is, is sort of the setup. Um, it's, it's the root of the Bobiverse universe, but from there, there's so many places you can go, um, Daedalus and Icarus are uh, heading off to the galactic core. I'm sure there's a story or two in that. Howard and Bridget are, uh, you know, 
investigating and cataloging biologies on various planets. There's at mm-hmm. least a couple of stories in that, and so on and so on. All the Bobs that you know of already have potentially lots of stories. And then, of course, there's all the new Bobs that are going to be introduced in Heaven's River that you don't know about. I can't wait to meet new Bobs. I'm very I know, excited. I'm really about excited. It. Yeah, me too. So let's jump into some questions from the audience. The first one comes to us from William who says, my understanding is that the Babaverse books are audiobook first and then print slash ebook second. This is the reverse of most novels. Does knowing that this will be recorded change the way that you write? Do you think about how things will sound as you compose them? And also, for those of us who prefer to read with our eyeballs, when or will the new Bob books be available as text? Um, Well, I'll answer the last thing first. Um, There's a four-month exclusivity for the audiobooks. So uh, Heaven's River comes out September 24th on audio and January 24th next year uh, for all the text versions. That's just the contract that I have with Audible. And I have that contract with Audible because they threw lots of money at me and I'm very, very weak. (laughs) Seems seems sensible. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess traditionally speaking, it's it's the reverse of uh, the way things used to be. But then there didn't used to be audiobooks at all, you know, other than maybe things on cassettes that you got mm-hmm. at libraries. Uh, it's a very new technology. It's a very new market segment. McAfee is just giving me hell here. Let's just turn that off. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, um, it's mostly big with the younger crowd, or I should say it's especially big with the younger crowd. Like uh, the, the newer generations coming up have embraced audiobooks far more readily and more enthusiastically than the old folkies like me who still have a little trouble with things you can't see. Hmm. Sorry, there was another part to that question. I can't remember what it was. I think that was, does it change the way you would write the novel? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, uh, a very large change that at least some authors have to make in terms of the word said, uh, sadisms. Um, I think it was Stephen King uh, who, who once said that he said, she said, is invisible in books. Uh, and if it wasn't Stephen King, it's, it's somebody, you know, at that level. Um, so, you know, this is right, he said. No, it's wrong, she said. Stuff like that. In, in books, that works fine. It, it kind of disappears into the page. In audio, it stands out like a bleeding sore thumb. Uh, you can hear it, and you, you hear it more and more and more as the book goes on. John Scalzi actually has said in interviews that he's had to change his writing style because of audiobooks, because he's always just used, said, you know, he said, she said, mm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and it just doesn't work. Uh, when you start doing audiobooks, you start using beats more often, where you don't say he said, or you say something like, he sat back and crossed his arms. That's really not what I mean. That type of thing. That works, that works far better in audiobooks. And, of course, you have to balance it because things also going to be printed in the same format. So, hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if anyone ever – is there ever the opportunity to – almost have like two different versions or to, or, or, or to sometime, is there an opportunity for the, the narrator or the voice actor doing the audiobook to, to make edits or, or those kinds of calls? Is, does that ever happen? 
Not really, at least not in the case of Audible. The problem is they have whis- whisper sync, where right, the, uh, right. the book follows along with the audio. And if, excuse me, if the uh, actual text is out of sync between the two, then that just doesn't work very well. I did try to uh, mark particular phrases and stuff in Heaven's River when we were going through edits with the idea of saying, well, you know, don't put this in the audiobook, but mm. put it in the text version. And it, it, we ended up just dropping it entirely. It just didn't work well. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, get to a question from John Taloni, uh, who says, in the first book, the other competitors view things as a grim survival situation, and there is serious concern that they may not be able to cope with the change, whereas Bob seems thoroughly pleased by the idea, metaphorically dancing like SpongeBob at the thought. Uh, John wants to know, was this based on the author or someone he knows? Um, not sure what part of the... I think he's talking about the very beginning of, of, the, of, of the first book. Okay. The competitors, the, the uh, competing uh, replicants? Yeah. Or the competing people who are trying to kind of survive to become artificial intelligence. Right, his his competitors for the uh, for the for the um, duty to become the ship. Right, you know, right, become the ship. Yeah, I'll be honest. I do not remember Bob dancing like SpongeBob SquarePants at the idea of being <laughs> in a competition. I remember him being quite uh, in a state of dread over it mm. because if he lost, he gets switched off, mm-hmm. and it's it's really an all or nothing situation. Yeah, I think I have these kind of like ghosts of a memory where I feel like he maybe took it less seriously, but I think that might have just been his internal dialogue. He is a little more flippant. That a is a little what more I flippant. Recall. Yeah, he, he is Perhaps. definitely flippant. Um, that's that's Bob. One of his ways of coping with difficult situations is to make light of them. That's what being flip is all about doesn't mean you're actually taking it less seriously. It's just mm-hmm. coping mechanism. And is that, is that like someone, you know, or, <laughs> or was that a, was that an invention? No, it is definitely like somebody I know. Somebody <laughs> I, somebody I see in the mirror every morning. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. The next one also comes from John. He says there's uh, FTL communication, but physical transport is still limited by the speed of light. How did you arrive at this setup? Considering that many Star Trek references, was it hard to put down warp drive of some kind? Um, do you mean as in not use it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing about writing a book or for that matter, a series is to carefully balance the, uh, the limitations with the abilities of the characters. Um, I needed FTL communications because otherwise the Bobs were too, too disconnected. But if I had FTL travel, then everything just became too easy. So it, 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 was, a, it was a decision to write it that way for the sake of where I wanted the story to go. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of... Um what would you say are your, your sci-fi influences? Niven, Heinlein, uh, Clark and Asimov to a lesser extent, uh, but mostly the first two, I think. Those, were, those have always been my favorite authors. Excellent choices. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, Trike had written in and wanted to know uh, about Niven particularly. He said, I got a strong hint of Larry Niven's known space from the first book. Uh, so there you go, Trike. There's your answer. <laughs> I did not set that up. I did not intentionally mean to set that up. Um, so yeah, he asks, was Niven's work an inspiration, particularly oh, A World Out of Time? Is that something that you loved reading? Or, or is there a particular Niven novel that really speaks to you? Well, A World Out of Time is is definitely one of the main influences for the Bob series, uh, both in a positive and a negative way, actually. Uh, I really liked the setup of World Out of Time, of uh, you know having a guy revived and shot out into the galaxy to explore the, the, the stars. But then in the book, he ends up coming back to Earth, or you know a very, very future version of Earth, and most of the book is involved with him banging around in the solar system. So it it ends up avoiding the whole galactic exploration thing, uh, which is what I really would have liked to have seen happen. So when I started the Bobverse, that's what I wanted them to do. I also assume that you're a Star Trek fan, given Riker and and potentially some of the other references. Is are are you a, a TNG person? Are you a classic Trek, or or am I missing the boat entirely? No, I'm definitely a Star Trek fan. Um, I th- well, I grew up on uh, the original series, of course, and uh, you know it's it's, go- it's always going to have a special place. But I thought I always thought TNG took a more professional approach to the concepts and, uh, you know, with the better special effects and more attention paid to scripts and stuff like that. I thought it was done a lot better. Yeah. Touching, touching back on the, uh, the idea of, of the limitation of, of not using a warp drive or something for the travel. Uh, that's something I've been noticing in more books. The expanse is another example where they, they try to keep it too realistic, uh, methods. Do you do you think that's easier to write now that we know more about our solar system and 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 what the limits might be than we did in the past? I don't know if if it's easier to write that way or if it's just a case of um, I don't know what you'd call it the politics of the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't mean politics in in the generally accepted way, but th- there are. Uh, trends, if you want to put right. it that way, in uh, in writing, in science fiction writing as much as anything else. And right now there's a trend to want to lean towards hard science fiction, which means no FTL, uh, mm-hmm. no time travel. Time travel is impossible. FTL is impossible. Uh, and so on and so on. And I, I kind of take the attitude that if you leave out everything that we don't know is possible, uh, what you have isn't science fiction. It's just fiction with a scientific setting. Uh, I like to write science fiction, which means at least one thing has to be some kind of a stretch, hmm. whether that's FTL or whether that's a reactionless drive or whether it's um, teleportation or if it's just something like a, a real conscious AI, but something that we don't have right now. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people in their heads think of it as like it's either space opera or it's hard sci-fi. And and I like what you're saying, which is for it to really be science fiction and, and not just be a description of, of what's possible, 
you, you need to stretch. I, I'd never really thought of that but before. Mm-hmm. And usually, even with stuff that they call hard science fiction, there's something in there that's some kind of a stretch. Uh, our, uh, Rendezvous with Rama is often presented as an example of hard science fiction because they very carefully limit the technology available to the human beings. But if you think about the idea of a giant alien cylinder slowly mm-hmm. drifting into the solar system, that isn't hard science fiction. I mean, that's out there. Yeah. So there's always the expanse. Um, you know, they had the protomolecule. Mm-hmm. We don't know how that works. Uh, they had uh, gates, presumably wormholes. Who knows? They never really explained them. Um, that's not quote, possible science, unquote, uh, there's always something that's a stretch. And it's, it's great to have the the thing that's not a stretch so that the thing that is a stretch kind of stands out and is, and is cool, I think. Yes. And the other thing about, about uh, not stretching what the humans can do, what the protagonists can do, is that then you know what their limits are. You, you have a mm-hmm. fairly good idea of what the people can and can't do and, uh, you know, how they can and can't blow up the aliens or whatever. If, uh, if you've got, and I'm going to pick on Star Trek a little bit here, but if you, if you get a Star Trek kind of attitude towards things where every time you need to do something new, you just introduce a, a new elemental particle and reverse the polarity on it, mm-hmm. uh, the, the audience really doesn't have any idea of what the limitations of the technology are and everything becomes a, a potentially at least a, a deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. Right. I just realized that I, I think that reversing the polarity on some kind of particle is the Star Trek equivalent of procedural dramas being able to enhance images beyond typical <laughs> computer abilities. Enhance, yeah. yeah. Enhance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's what the license plate says. Exactly. Oh, we can see yeah. his face totally clearly yes, now. We can see his reflection <laughs> yeah. in his cornea. Oh, now yeah, we know it was, the killer. It was, what, it was one pixel before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I forgot what my next actual question was. Oh, I was going to say, um, it, I was, I was going to just mention that like, I feel like FTL at this point is almost like a foregone conclusion in most science fiction stories. So it was nice to see it as something that was a little more out there and a little less achievable and something that the, the protagonist really could have used, uh, could have made good use of obviously, especially in planet saving situations. Um, but, but did not have that ability. So I feel like that definitely aided in the tension of the, of the story itself. Right. Um, plus the other thing is not having FTL isolates the human colonies, isolates the bobs and mm-hmm. stretches the timeline of the story because some, in some cases it's literally decades between one chapter and the next. Uh, while they wait for, for instance, for the others to fly in from whatever star system they were from. Right. We got a, uh, another question from Taloni, uh, who says, were all the Bob name references off the top of your head or were there any, you had to look up, how did you choose which Bob references to use? I think he's talking about the Bob name references specifically. Yeah. I, I think they were pretty much all off the top of my head. Uh, I, whenever I needed a new Bob, I just thought about it for a while and, and jotted something down. I did change some. You know, they're not all the very first thing that came into my head. 
in some cases I, I moved them around and, and uh, switched particular bobs from here to there because they sounded better over there. I do appreciate that you came out with the, um, the Bob family tree. Um, that has been, uh, extremely helpful. Um, I, I, I didn't even realize how many bobs there were until I started looking at the tree. And then the thought of having even more bobs added into the tree is, is uh, a little intimidating. Do you have, is that how you Imagine have it written like out? Bob. I, <laughs> I don't think it would be much of a problem for Bob. Yeah. Well, of course the, the bobs have, or had a central registry at one point. So that it was easy for them. It was automatically updated. But uh, by the time of the uh, Heaven's River book, there are uh, they're coming up on tens of thousands of bobs, so there will be no family tree. Oh published. yeah, <laughs> I guess not. Is there is there ever when you get to that scale of of bob, uh, do you, do you risk having bobs that are? alike rather than the, 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 you know, I, I loved the subtle branching of Bob's personality that never felt wrong, but at a certain point you think of Riker as Riker, not as a Bob. Uh, do, do they ever just kind of randomly branch back? Yeah. It's possible in principle, except they would never become identical because Mm -hmm. they'd have different memories in order for them to be identical, identical, a, child would have to uh, be instantiated identically to its parent. Uh, I'm using these terms in very, in very general, in a very general way. I do go into a little bit of why that's not possible in uh, heaven's river. Mm-hmm. So a child will always be different from its parent. And if somewhere down the road, a Bob is instantiated, that is very, very similar to another Bob, you know, somewhere up and down another fork in the Bob genealogy. That's just coincidence. And they might never meet. Right. Yeah. I was trying to think like there was, I mean, for people to be, it would just be impossible for, for people. They could be similar or very similar, but they would never be exactly alike. It's like with twins, like they're, even if they're Mm -hmm. genetically you know, exact. They their their personalities are going to diverge just over time naturally, just the way the Bobs have. Yeah, and uh, even with with twins with uh, you know similar upbringing and identical uh, genetics, just the interaction between them, one of them is going to be dominant, or just a little stronger, or just a little faster, or uh, just a little more whiny, or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, it will it will create. Uh, differences in their personalities as they interact over time. Right. So I guess we have to uh, take this question because I'm, I'm sure you've heard it before, but, but John also wants to know, we all have our favorite Bob. Which of the Bobs is your favorite and why? Um, it's not so much my favorite Bob as my favorite Bob situation. And that's Bill with the skunk works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if I was going to be in the Bob situation, I would either end up doing what Bill did, or I would end up doing what uh, Daedalus and Icarus did. Mm-hmm. So I would either form a skunk works, or I would just point the, the bow, turn on the engines and go. And just head out. Yeah. Head out, the, yeah. There's really, I mean, so many interesting stories, like you said, that you could, you could take with those two just to see what they've, what they found out there, what they're up to. Um, I think everybody would like to know. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm going to have to make some decisions before I write the Icarus and Daedalus story, because uh, by the time they get to the center of the galaxy, it'll or even close to it, it'll be going on thirty thousand years. Um, I have to decide whether the Bobs ever do discover FTL, because if mm. they do, they'll be waiting for them. <laughs> Or right. the, I guess you could just set a, almost a side story, like, uh, you know, not, not have them connected to the rest of the Bobs, just like a, a buddy comedy out there in the cosmos, completely disconnected, like a standalone. That would be interesting too. Yeah. They run into something along the way, go to investigate it, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, for, for the record, my favorite Bob is Riker. Um, but I'm also a huge Next Generation fan, so we always had a, a warm place in my heart to to start with anyway. Um, fans were pretty broken up over Homer. Mm. Um, I was just about I, to mention that, yeah. Yeah, who was, mm. who was another, obviously, fantastic Bob. Um, I'm not really sure how to ask the question, but was, was that difficult to write? Uh, was it, I mean, the... There were not many Bobs had such a tragic end. So what was that like kind of writing that situation, thinking that through and, and how fans reacted to that? Yeah. The hardest part was deciding to kill Homer off in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, once I made the decision, the process was, was fairly uh, definite, uh, you know, constricted in, in what I could do because I mean, the nature of the Bobs is uh, they can always be restored from backup, right? So you have to come up with a situation where that won't work. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, Homer was so absolutely broken up that he deleted his own backups, which makes it a permanent death. I think there's a uh, there's an obvious element. Homer was one of my favorites. So there's an obvious element of losing a Bob that you you really enjoyed uh, spending time with. I, I think there's also an element of of all of us who've ever lost a backup that we <laughs> couldn't recover. That, <laughs> part of that, too. Yeah, well, um, I, I would <laughs> if I was to uh, if I was to be honest about that, I'd have included a lot more language. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, that's it's so interesting because as I was thinking about the the whole backup thing, um, and that definitely adds a little levity to the situation, Tom. Um, thank you. Uh, but I, I was thinking like there's a lot of there's a lot of sci-fi out there right now that's that's becoming very like backup centric. Like obviously Altered Carbon came out as as a book mm. a long time ago, but kind of came back into the cultural, you know, awareness with the with the TV show and then um, what was that Amazon show that just came out where, upload. um, yes, upload. Thank you. Um, no. also really heavily featuring that. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It feels like we, as, as people now are, are getting to this place where we're really hoping for that ability or, or that, um, that process to become viable in some way. I, I know we're, we're very far off. Um, but I, I do feel like the, we're, we're not all ships. We're not AIs, uh, but Yet. Feeling like that process is possible. I mean, this is also going off on another tangent, but I, I really related to to Bob as as Robert, not because I'm the rich CEO of a tech company, but <laughs> just like the the very beginning of the book um, is so different from the rest of the book. But for Tom and I specifically, I think like that that feeling of being at a convention, being at a, a big tech event like he was at the convention center and crossing the street, it it felt so 
Dennis, uh, Tom and I both worked in the tech industry also. Um, and I currently also work for a, a large tech company. Um, and so I had a lot of feelings. It felt very real. And, and I was wondering how much of your background you kind of like brought into creating that moment and creating that atmosphere. And, and did you have to go to a lot of events all like CES? that street in front of the LVCC we, Yeah, CES. that's basically like, what that, I'm saying. That was what was going through <laughs> our minds. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I tried to use my personal experiences as much as possible because I wanted to make the book feel as real as possible to the types of people who I thought would be reading the book, mm -hmm. which are people like me, you know, from a, from a temperamental and philosophical point of view. One of the things about writing a book is, is choosing your audience. Uh, you can either just write a book and, and toss it out there and hope, or you can decide I'm writing a book for such and such an audience. And, and those are the people that I want to, I want whose interest I want to catch. And uh, it was the Martian that really made that clear to me. The Martian, by all rights, should not have succeeded. It was, it was very procedural. It was very, uh, there, there was no actual antagonist as such. There wasn't even a bad guy in the book. Mm, it was mm -hmm. all, you know, um, serial problem solving. And you know, he goes into incredible detail on the growing of potatoes and the conversion of uh, the uh, rocket fuel and stuff like that. It breaks the rules of writing on so many levels. And yet it was an astounding success. And that's because Andy Weir wrote to an audience. He wrote to an audience of nerds. <laughs> and the nerds ate it up. And being one of those nerds, I can, I can attest to that. Mm -hmm. So I did the same thing. When I wrote it, I wrote it for the same type of people who would love The Martian. That's super interesting because, as I mentioned, my my husband, who is not a, a genre reader uh, regularly, um, those are two books that he really enjoys. Your books and The Martian. And mm -hmm. that's the first time I really kind of made that connection. Um, so that's, that's, a really, that's a really interesting insight. Um, yeah. So this is, uh, this is a little bit out there, but I wonder, is there any chance of any kind of Bob movie or Bob TV show, or how would someone even do that? I'm just really curious if you've thought that through or envisioned what that might look like in the future. Okay. Well, first off, there is an option agreement in, in force right now. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And it's been renewed because it was originally for 18 months and that expired last September and they renewed it, which means they paid me another wad of money for another further 18 months, which tells me that they've got something going mm. or at mm -hmm. least they've got something on the plate, or at least they've got something in, in the pipeline or they've got something doing something somewhere with someone. Because, <laughs> yeah. 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 They, yeah. You're, you're, it's chugging along in the pipe money. somewhere. Yeah. 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 You don't throw good money after bad if the thing's just sitting there. Yeah. A lot, a lot of companies will, will throw options around just so they have options, but won't renew them because there's always some other newer thing. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. That makes sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, the nature of, of options in Hollywood and such is that once they have got your signature and given you your money, they don't talk to you again. Mm -hmm. until until it's time to get more signatures. 
So I have no idea what's actually going on. Do you have any kind of casting in mind also? Well, I would, yeah, I have sort of my dream casting, but it's in one, it, I visualize Ryan Reynolds playing Bob. Oh, sure. Whenever I, I, totally whenever I think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the sense of humor, right? Yeah. Because of the Deadpool thing. Uh, Bob would totally identify with Deadpool. Um, the other character that I thought would make a good Bob is, is the guy in Upload. Oh, uh, but of course, yeah. he's in Upload, so you know he's, he can't do another very similar thing. Yeah. But I'm sure there are a lot of people who, who could pull it off. Well, we know uh, a lot of authors don't have a lot of time to read anything outside of what they need to uh, for their writing. Uh, but we always like to know if if you're reading anything, uh, because that's our whole show here is trying to help people add things to to their book list. So th- is there anything that that you're reading and enjoying that you can pass along to folks? Uh, not right at this very moment, if you're thinking of fiction, because I read a lot of nonfiction these days, uh, reference books and stuff like that. Um, I did read The Last Human uh, by Zach Jordan. I hope my memory isn't failing me there. I'm going to insult the guy by not remembering his name his name properly. But I wrote it as a, or I wrote it, and I read it as an early release copy, and I really enjoyed it. And I did a, a blurb for it, stuff like that. It's it's well worth buying. Oh, very and yes, cool. it is Zach Jordan. Your memory did not fail. Okay, good. We won't tell him that you also wrote his novel. Yeah. yeah. Well, he'll probably find out. He what? <laughs> I just had now, him blurb now, the thing. I didn't have him write it. Yeah. Now, if I could just get Tor to send the uh, royalty checks. <laughs> the checks, yeah. yeah. So uh, where can people find and follow all of your work online? Are you active on social media? How can people uh, stay up to date with what you're doing? Well, I have a blog, uh, DennisETaylor.org, and I'm a sort of active on Facebook. I'm very active on Twitter, to the extent that I'm very active on social media at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, but Twitter's where I, I post first, or where I more casually post simply because it's easy. Uh, there's a couple of Facebook groups on, strangely, Facebook, uh, fans of the Bobiverse and fans of Dennis E. Taylor. And I check in on those quite regularly and I'm on Instagram. Very cool. Well, we'll have to give you a follow and check out some of those groups on Facebook. I'm always happy to meet other, other fans of Bob. Um, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun and we're, we're very excited for the next book and, and whatever else comes, comes our way. Well, I'm very excited to see how the next book is received. Um, It's, it's always nerve wracking to write a book. Uh, even like the singularity trap, which was sort of out of the blue, but uh, writing a follow-on to a, a successful series is especially nerve-wracking. Yeah, no pressure. It'll yeah. be fine. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- thank you for for venturing out into the Bobaverse again for us. Then we appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And for you out there. Of course. And for all of you out there, our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to the folks who back our show. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about on the show, like all of the books from Dennis E. Taylor that we talked about today and some of our other favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. 
Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And of course, you can join in on all of our discussions over at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!